Mr. President, I'm here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something. All right, Lee. Time to become an American hero. <laughs> Darkmyths.org and Neopolis Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. Why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal, will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. We shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket, more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses, several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, Food and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this and do it right, and do it first before this dictate is out. Then we must be bold. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is episode number one, three. Two of the Lone Gummin Podcast, and I'm your host, Rob Clark, with you here today on this special anniversary slash Thanksgiving show. That's right, folks. Last year, I did a special called Going Ham on Turkey Day, and I unleashed a little bit uh, some frustrations that I was having at the time, and... This year is going to be no different. 
Although not as much ranting, and I promise I will touch on some actual uh, research as well uh, going on here. Um, lots of stuff to cover today, and I wanted to start, of course, you know, with the anniversary of JFK's death. This is the 53rd year, people. The 53rd year. Are we any closer? Uh, my answer is no. Some people might say yes. My answer is no. To the entire truth. But we must not give up hope. Um, and if you listen to that speech, you know, his, his, his JFK, you know, we're going to the moon speech. Man, I mean, he has some big, lofty goals. And... Like he said, you know, just 35 years prior, they were just crossing the Atlantic for the first time. Okay. So there's a go from be flying over the Atlantic Ocean just 35 years earlier to wanting to get a rocket ship to the moon and back safely within seven years is a huge, huge goal to try and meet. You know, but we supposedly did it. Now, I, like a lot of other people, have some reservations as to whether or not uh, it actually happened like people were shown on television. You know, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart when it comes to thing, these things. Um, there's, there's lots of indications that we did not go and we could not go. Um... But I guess that's for somebody in another line of podcasting to really get it and, and brush out that conspiracy theory. But I have looked into it, and I'm not convinced we went. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm not convinced we went at all. Sorry about that. I'm trying to turn my notifications off. That was a loud dinger there. Um, um. So, yeah, I'm not convinced we went to the moon. But damn if it didn't look to the rest of the world like we did. And if anybody else knew about it, like the Russians, they probably had their suspicions that we didn't go. But you know what? They didn't say anything. They just let us do our thing. Um, which is fine, you know. It, it's always amazed me, you know, that, that within, you know, a very short time after the creation of NASA and, and and the launching of satellites into space, putting a man in orbit, and going to the moon, you know, within a relatively short amount of time, you know, I mean, we're talking you know, maybe a 10 or 15 year stretch here. And it's been, you know, 40 plus years since we've attempted anything greater than going into orbit. And I've even seen things out there that say that, you know, we can't even do that. So, <laughs> you know, there's all these indications that, you know, footage from the from the International Space Station and spacewalks have been faked and this and that. And once again, it's not my place to say yes or no. It's just something to look into, and there is arguments for it. You know, NASA th themselves have admitted 
uh, when it comes to interstellar travel, that there's a lot of problems that there's no way in hell that they could have even anticipated or, or gotten through, you know, almost 50 years ago. So, but, you know, it doesn't really matter in, in the big scheme of things, I guess. Uh, because, you know, this far out, if they would have kept on the path and it was a true, you know, if we did actually go to the moon and back and they actually kept on the path of, of you know, exploring our solar system and, uh, you know, really applying the best and the brightest minds and technology and, and, the, and the industries uh, that we, we have available here in the United States that, there's no reason we couldn't have been to, you know, Venus or or Mars or, or Jupiter or anything by now. Or even to the farthest reaches of our solar system and back. Um, you know, look, you guys, if you've looked at anything, you know, you know that, that you know, there's really far advanced propulsion systems out there. Um, a lot of them we're not privy to. Uh, Self-contained uh you know, energy-producing units that can, you know, can produce and sustain, uh, you know, creating energy uh, on its own. You know, the problem is the time that it takes to get there to these places. You know, that's why in, in all these futuristic movies, you know, you see them going into, like, some kind of a stasis uh, and then having the system wake them up, you know, when they get to their destination. But, you know, it takes a special breed of people to, you know, volunteer for such missions. But, you know, th this is what unites a country, uh, you know, for common goals, is to do something great as a nation. And here lately, you know, we haven't had very much greatness to unite as a nation and be proud of. Uh, you know, what our country is doing. You know, the, the the closest thing that I can probably compare it to in my lifetime is, you know, the sense of, uh, an improbably false sense of uh, patriotism that, that the nation, you know, kind of united behind after the attacks of 9-11. Um, you know, and once again, if, if, you, if you take a closer look at the events of 9-11, you... You might just see a conspiracy there, um, and things might have not happened as uh, you know we're told. So, you know, once again, here we go, here we go, here we go. Now, you know, JFK made a lot of great speeches in his, uh, you know, short three years as as, as president. I mean, the man had a way of definitely engaging. Uh, and coming across for sure, uh, you know, with that with that Boston accent and his, you know, enthusiasm that that relayed greatly, you know, through his uh, through his uh, through his voice and his, you know, intellectual vigor <clears throat> and his, you know, seeming, you know, honest, uh, you know, thoughts behind these speeches. You know, it's almost like he wrote them himself. Now, of course, we know they didn't, um, or not all of them anyway, but damn if he didn't deliver them like, like he owned them, you know? 
Um, you know, when you think back on some of the great speeches, like, you know, the, the, uh, the American University Peace speech, the Secret Society speech, um, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just, he was a great president. Um, you know, he was young, had a beautiful family, and had the entire world ahead of him. And he was gunned down 53 years ago, you know, this week. <sighs> it's just, it's just so sad when you think about it, really. You know, it's, uh, but that's why we're here. That's why we continue to look into the case and what's part of the reason, you know. Everybody loves a good murder mystery, of course. Um, everybody loves true crime. Um, but, you know, there's a part of it that, that really bothers you because of what a great president he was and, and, and could have been even better than that. You know, uh, Lyndon Johnson got a lot of credit for continuing uh, JFK's policies and his, uh, his uh, you know, things that he wanted to get done in his presidency, like the Civil Rights Act. You know, I can definitely see... Um, you know, if JFK would have lived and, and been uh, and gotten that passed and, you know, he would have definitely went down as the, you know, one of the greatest presidents ever. You know, not to mention what the other things he could have done, you know, such as avoided Vietnam, you know, but the, pa the powers that be uh, that kind of move the military industrial complex that he was warned about by Eisenhower are... At times, you know, he faced a very, very strong opposition to what he was trying to do. Because, you know, you, I've always, I've often mentioned on this show that you can't make money off off of peace. You know, there always, it seems like there always has to be a war, and if there's not a war, then there has to be some kind of credible threat hanging over our heads. Now, the one exception that I could possibly even, you know, relate to you is, I guess, maybe when Bill Clinton was in office in the 90s. And, you know, Bush had, Bush had started the Operation Desert Storm, you know, there during his thing, um, you know, we had a little bit of peace in, in the 80s, uh, but there was a lot of scandals, like the Iran-Contra scandal. Um, you know, Afghanistan, uh, Nicaragua, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, and, and, and while Reagan was still in office and Jimmy Carter, the Cold War was still going on. You know, it wasn't until, you know, the late 80s, early 90s that, um, you know, the uh, the Berlin Wall fell. And then, uh, you know, we, after Gorbachev took over, you know, we got a new Russia. The Cold War's over. Everybody's happy. We're shaking hands and moving on. So the 90s kind of ushered in uh, our first era of actual peace with no credible threat. You know, there was instances, you know, in Somalia and uh, in Iraq and, um, and places like that at the beginning of the 90s. But for the most part, 
you know, it was kind of event-free. Now, of course, it also ushered in the new era of neocons and the start of terrorism. Um, if you remember, before 9-11, uh, the World Trade Centers were bombed uh, before that, you know, and Oklahoma City was bombed before that. So you kind of have an you kind of had an error of terrorism, but you know, if you know, I think if if Oklahoma City had been blamed on a Muslim instead of some random white guy, um, things might have been a lot different as far as people caring about it. Now, people cared about it, sure. But you have a white domestic terrorist. What are you going to do about it? You know, he rented a truck, filled it full of shit, and blew it up. And blew up half of a building. Or so the official story goes. Once again, if you look into the conspiracy theories surrounding the events of the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, you might come away with a different story. I'm just trying to keep it easy to understand and follow here, people. Uh, don't think that I don't, that I'm not aware of... Just about every conspiracy theory out there, I, I'm well aware. Um, but, you know, they could have blamed that bombing on anybody. Uh, they could have strapped a Muslim in the, in, the, in the front seat of that thing and blew it up with him in it. And then we'd have had a problem. Um, you know, and it's been demonstrated that the FBI was actually, had infiltrated a supposed terrorist cell but they were actually the ones, you know, who were egging this guy on to do what he was doing and blow up the World Trade Center. Now, of course, that didn't go as planned. Um, thank God, back then. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, who knows what to believe anymore? You know, it's just, as Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing, people. And, and you know... Now, here we are, 53 years after JFK was gunned down in the street in Dallas. And, you know, after one of the most uh, strenuous political presidential uh, races and election that I can remember... Um, as far as not having a real clear-cut, uh, credible candidate on either side that that the people could put their trust in, you know, it, it's this is what it's come to. And whose fault is it for allowing it to get this far? For allowing the neocons to be in power for this long? For allowing the Clinton-Bush dynasty, as long as it's been Clinton's, Bush-Clinton, you know, it's it's our fault. Now, sure, people can say that the elections have been rigged and everything's been rigged uh, for a very, very long time, and I would not argue with you one bit. You know, hell, there's even allegations that JFK uh, wouldn't have won the election if... Uh, his daddy hadn't paid off some of the mafia folks to uh, make sure he was elected in Illinois. But, you know, people were a bit skeptical of this young, 
this young buck back then in his Catholic uh, ways and his Boston Yankee accent. And this is part of the reason that he went to Dallas and, and toured the South a lot was to garner support. This is part of the reason that he selected Lyndon Johnson as his running mate. Because he needed some support from the South. And if they saw, hey, we got a big Texan standing behind this Yankee, then, uh, hey, he's got my vote. <laughs> you know? Um, they say JFK won you know, the election after debating Richard Nixon on television. You know, it was one of the first... Uh, pr- televised presidential debates and just the creepy way you know Nixon was on there all sweaty and looking uncomfortable and nervous and you know JFK coming across like a Hollywood actor uh, well spoken and uh, thoughts together and he he just he won it right there pretty much Um, of course there was some staunch you know old school folks most of them you know, because JFK barely won the election, just like Donald Trump. So now we have a president-elect <clears throat> who's never held a political office in his life. Uh, great businessman, by all accounts. You know, but uh, does he have what it takes to run a country? I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because I believe that if if Hillary Clinton would have been elected president, that, uh, you know, first of all, I think she's a criminal uh, as far as what went on with Gaddafi and, and in Benghazi and in Syria and these emails with Podesta and all this weird, you know, sex traff child sex trafficking stuff. No, no, thank you. Um, and she's a flip flopper. She says whatever the people want to say. You can see her on YouTube from ten years ago saying, oh, "I'm, uh, I'm so against abortion, or I'm for abortion, I'm for, I'm pro life." You know, it's she just flip flops to to whatever is is you know the hot thing. And I don't want anybody like that in office. You know, just just a people pleaser and a handshaker and whatever whatever i mean i know they're puppets anyway but you know some puppets have a little more power than others uh so you know and and the whole clinton crime family goes way back you know way back to mena arkansas and 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 the cia and and the drug running and gun running and you know no thanks no thank you you've had your time You've had your offices. See you later. You know, sorry. Have a nice life. Right off into the sunset, Hillary. And now, you know, Donald has said that he's not going to go after Hillary Clinton criminally. He's not going to push it. Now, this is not saying that the FBI couldn't do their own thing. Uh, But he's not going to publicly call for, you know, Hillary to be... Uh, prosecuted criminally for for all this stuff, despite what he said when he was running for president. You know, you know he he nominated uh, I think the governor from South Carolina, who was a, he was a woman, who said that she hopes that Donald Trump does not get elected president. 
back in February, she said this. She said he, he, that he supports the KKK and all this other crazy stuff. He appoints her to a position in his cabinet, and now she's singing a different tune. She says, oh, I did vote for Trump, and I'm so glad he got elected. Well, I guess you are. I guess you are. That's why all politicians are full of donkey shit. All of them. Not a one of them that has gotten that far up the ladder is anything less than crooked. They're bought and paid for. They are puppets to the highest order. They're, they're political whores who will do anything to advance and make their star a little brighter. And you can quote me on that shit. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. I didn't want to go down. Um, you know, I just wanted to basically say that, you know, this event 53 years ago changed the course of America forever. And, you know, this time of year... You know, of course, it's it's it holds special meaning to me because of the passion that I have for looking into this case, and for uh, you know what I feel about the man uh, on a more personal level. And also, you know, it's it's always around Thanksgiving time, you know. And I think you know, <sighs> JFK didn't have to, didn't get to have Thanksgiving that year with his family. And his family didn't get to have Thanksgiving with their husband, their father, their brother, their son, their uncle. And that, you know, saddens me. It does. Because, you know, I just don't think that one day out of the year is enough to say, hey, you over there on this day... Once a year, you need to be thankful for something. And the whole premise of it is horse shit anyway. You know, oh, the pilgrims come over and broke bread with the Indians and they all sat down and had dinner. Well, I'm sure the real story goes, you know, the pilgrims moved in, stole all their shit, slaughtered all the Indians, then they had dinner. You know, that's probably a little bit more accurate, but I digress. You know, we should all strive to be thankful on a daily basis for what we have in this life. Even if you don't have a pot to piss in, you can be thankful, you know, that you've got a pair of shoes on your feet. You can be thankful, you know, that you ate this morning. You can be thankful that... That person over there just gave you a dollar, so you hopefully put it together with a few more dollars that you get so that you can get something to eat. And that's if you have nothing. Now, most of us and most people listening to the show have things. <laughs> okay? You know, you have jobs. You have a family. You have, you know, wives and kids and, and, and this, that, and the other. And, and uh, you know, we take for granted a lot of stuff. And I'm guilty of it too, you know, on a daily basis. You know, we should all be thankful 
you know, that we have, that we're healthy, that we have healthy children, that we have a job to provide a life for our families and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm thankful on a daily basis that I'm afforded the opportunity to do something that I love. And trust me, it ain't my day job. But I don't hate my day job. My day job affords me a lot of time to think. I do a lot of driving. Um, and, you know, I also like my day job because I'm not stuck in a cubicle. I don't have a boss breathing down my neck on a daily basis. And I have a lot of time to think, which is something in this area of study that I think is beneficial. You know, I don't I, I don't have a lot of white noise in my brain. You know, when it comes to life on a daily basis. And I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for all the fans and supporters and loyal listeners of this show. Because without you, <laughs> there would not be a Lone Gunman podcast. Trust me, if nobody listened to this, I wouldn't do it. But here we are, two and a half years later from when I started the show. I was stoked to see that, hey, oh my God, 10 people listen to my show. You know, and it slowly increased. Oh my God, 50 people listen to my show this week. That's crazy. And that eventually got to, a man, 100 people listen to my show this week. That is insane. And trust me, I can keep going. Uh, Now it's thousands of people listen to my show this week. And that, to me, is just freaking amazing. It is just amazing, amazing, amazing. That tells me, you know, hey, Rob, you're doing something right. All of your hard work has paid off. You know, I've heard from people that don't even, that, you know, had no interest whatsoever in the Kennedy assassination until they heard my show. They've heard other JFK shows that are, you know, are boring and stuffy and and convoluted and, you know, that are just hour-long, you know, book commercials. And they dig that I tell it like it is. Because I pull no punches here on this show. I got no reason to. You know, this show is supported by you, the listener. Not any corporate media, not any corporate sponsors. You know, in case you hadn't noticed, I have no commercials. Except for when I'm trying to sell something myself. You know, sure, I'm, you know, I try to supplement uh, the income of this show. I spend a lot of time and hours in preparation and talking to guests you know, putting in a lot of work to this show. And it'd be nice to get something back. Not that I'm doing it just for that reason, but, you know, there are expenses. You know, there is web domains you got to pay for. There is bandwidth you got to pay for. Hosting sites you got to pay for. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Thankfully, a lot of people have helped me along the way on on, on the video side of things, on the... SEO side of things, on the uh, audio side of things. Um, You know, I can't just name everybody that I'm thankful for that supports this show, but, you know, you know who you are. And and I count each and every one of you as personal friends of mine. 
um, because that's the kind of thing we have here. You know, most people that uh, support the show, you know, I interact with on a almost a daily basis, you know, just shooting the shit about whatever, you know, you know, talking about what's going on in the research community or what's going on in the news, just stuff like that, you know. Uh, you know, it's great to have people you can talk to about this kind of thing. And I encourage it, you know. I'm easy to find. <laughs> I'm not a hard guy to track down. And I'll always answer you. Maybe not right away, but I'll get there. I mean, I got two other jobs. Uh, you know, I got kids and, and this, that, and the other, but I make time. You know, I make time for this and, and for the people that I interact with and that are important to me. I make time. And uh, because I'm thankful for each and every one of you, you know, th those folks who support the show and who like the show and share the show and interact with the show, man, it's, 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 it's validation for all these years of hard work, you know, and that's, and that's awesome. You know, uh... <laughs> I did a show last week, you know, an anniversary show. It was supposed to be a roundtable show with me and a few other guests. Uh, but they didn't show up. So it was just your boy for two hours. Well, three hours. Maybe three and a half. <laughs> on uh, on my friend uh, Joffy Ryder's show, uh, the Pirate Radio Network. I was aboard. I was aboard the ship. And we had a great conversation. You know, and, and he's asked some very, very good questions. We dispelled a lot of myths, you know, from from folks who don't really know uh, more than just a cursory glance at things or stuff stuff they might glean along the way or people they may have heard of. Um, that if you don't look further into them, like Judith Baker or Beverly Oliver or people like this. You know, you might have a false sense of uh, what you think you might know about the case. And I put the link up <laughs> for that show on my personal page. Uh, so please check it out. You know, I think it was a great show. Um, and I thank Jaffe for inviting me on the show, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, look, I've had some great shows. Randy Benson, man who I had on last week has blown up here recently. You know, I heard Dallas was an incredible success. You know, his film, people loved it. People love Randy. And, you know, I think it's awesome that somebody that put that much hard work in is, and is, is finally paying off. And I couldn't be happier for my friend, Randy Benson. Uh, he's a great dude and uh, a great ally to have in the research community for sure. You know, and, and if, of course, things can get petty. You know, John Barber, who 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 did the film, you know, the Garrison Tapes, and then the Garrison Tapes Part Two. Great guy, by all accounts. Uh, I've never had him on the show personally, um, but he has been on Doug's show and Chuck's show, and. Uh, you know, I think he's a he's a pioneer for what he did for reality television and, and, and for the interviews that he did with Garrison and, and all that. And I got nothing against the man. You know, he deserves every bit of success that he has. 
But you know, I've said it before on this show that the people you associate with are a direct reflection of how you conduct your business. Okay? And let me tell you something. Back when John Barber first announced that he was trying to get together uh, enough money to do the Garrison Tapes Part 2, which wasn't all that long ago, maybe around the first of the year, you know, he did a GoFundMe page. Uh, he was trying to raise an insane amount of money, something like $50,000 or, or maybe even more than that. I, all I know is like, holy crap, there's no way he'll ever get there, <laughs> you know. Uh, God bless him for trying, but I don't think he'll ever get there. But apparently uh, he got there and was able to whip it out uh, and, and get this thing out of here pretty relatively quickly. Uh, you know, he was he was shown in Dallas at the Texas Theater uh, this year as well as Randy. Now, his producer, in quotes, Myra Bronstein, is in several JFK-related groups there on Facebook that, that I'm a part of. And also was was a, was a friend at, at one time. Um, you know, and I guess it was a couple months ago that, uh, that Myra posted something about George Bush and... You know, all this stuff being being in Dealey Plaza and behind the assassination and all this and that and the other. And it wasn't too it wasn't too much on the heels of uh a show I just did with Doug called Beating the Bushies, which we did last summer, in which I think we pretty much debunked a lot of the George George Bush myths. Uh, you know, that surround the case, uh, you know, like his, his boat names, you know, people all oh, know he named the one Barbara J and blah, blah, blah. no, he didn't, <laughs> you know, uh, no, he wasn't in Dealey Plaza. You know, it, it was actually a different guy that was photographed there. He was actually in Tyler, Texas, as we have, uh, you know, a picture from Steve Rowe. Um, we have, uh, Barbara Bush's autobiography that states exactly where they were that day, despite George Bush seemingly not able to remember himself. And we all know that's part of the reason we keep women around is because they remember important things that men often forget. So, you know, and, and the whole Operation Zapata thing, you know, we, we debunked all that. We debunked all that. You know, that's a region of Cuba. Uh, also uh, named after a Cuban or a Mexican revolutionary who was ended up being killed by his own men. Um, so despite all the innuendo surrounding the whole George Bush did it theory, you know, there's just not a lot of concrete evidence to support it when you actually look a little harder, you know, but it's a great story. You know, so great, in fact, people like Russ Baker and John Hankey and all these other folks have made a living off of a cottage industry, living off of saying that George Bush was behind the assassination. Richard Hook on Facebook, you know, has George Bush in the Dow Tech's building, you know, running a hit team. 
He has George W. Bush and Bobby Sox and Penny Loafers running through Dealey Plaza. It's just ridiculous. <sighs> anyway, my point is that Myra had, had, had you know, said something about this, and I very politely disagreed with her, and I proceeded to post my evidence of why that she was wrong. Well, she didn't take too kindly to that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after I explained about the Barbara J and, and, and the boat name thing, um, and it actually wasn't even Bush's boat, you know, and this is documentation. It's documented from newspaper articles of the time. This was her response. Oh, you're going to show me mainstream media newspapers as proof? Like, they wouldn't lie. <sighs> you know, come on. Mainstream media has no reason to lie about some guy named George Bush, who, who was an oil guy back at the time. There's been actually no documentation before 1974 that George Bush has ever worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. Ever. And people, you want to point to uh, the J. Edgar Hoover memo? Well, let me break it down to you like this. How in the hell would J. Edgar Hoover know who, how would he know who was a CIA agent? How would he know that? It's not like the CIA sends over a list of employees to the FBI and says, this is all of our secret agents. You know, was, uh, George Bush was so clandestine he wasn't on the payroll. You know, nothing's ever come out that he was even an asset like Clay Shaw and DeMorne Shield. Nothing. We have no record, at least from CIA internal memos. And you could say, well, you know, he was director in 1974 and he, and he, and he might have, could have just wiped everything clean. But trust me, when you're talking about millions and millions of files and document pages, you cannot possibly ever get everything. You know, you just can't. And I'm sure his tax records have been gone over by somebody somewhere. And look, the guy before 1974 was not employed by the CIA or an asset that we have documentation about. And until we do, it's just speculation and an assertion that you would hope to be true because he's a villain and he fits the villain mold very nicely. Like with Lyndon Bain Johnson, you're going to have to do better than that. I don't believe in fairy tales. I haven't believed in fairy tales since I was about 10 years old. You know, I mean, do these people think that Santa Claus, you know, is real? Do they believe, you know, the Easter Bunny comes every year? For you to be able to prove something, you have to have some kind of evidence. Okay? And anomalous photographs that have been debunked, you know, uh, forgetful presidents, and... You know, photographs that have been misidentified are not proof of anything. 
But anyway, Myra didn't find, uh, you know, being hit with all this evidence. Uh, she didn't want to deal with it. So she blocked me and uh, deleted the entire thread. So, but like I said, I saw this GoFundMe page for John Barber's uh, movie back at the beginning of the year. And, you know, when you look on the GoFundMe page, you can see who's donated and how much they've donated. Well, Myra Bronstein must have a pretty big pocketbook. Because uh, she was donating a couple hundred bucks, you know, every every couple weeks or so. I mean, I can't go back and give you specifics, but... She was throwing some money down. Now, John Barber, when last I checked on that GoFundMe page, was a very, still a very long way away from his ultimate goal. Sorry, I just thought I had a thought. You know, hey, I got Google. I can go up and look this stuff up real quick right away. So let's head over to the GoFundMe page for Years and Tapes Part 2. Now, just like I remembered, I was a little bit off, though. Uh, John Barber was trying to raise $150,000 for this documentary, okay? Now, why he needed $150,000 to edit footage that he already had and maybe narrate over a little bit, I don't know. But... That's what he was asking for, $150,000. Now, he was just a little short of his goal. He only managed to raise $3,853 out of $150,000 in 12 months. Yet 61 people donated to him. And, uh, oh, look, Gary Fannin. You know, big boy, big boy, uh, speaker at, uh, Judy Khan, $275. And that was just 20 days ago. Oh, three months ago, Gary Fannin again, 200 bucks. Oh, here we go. Myra, Myra Bronstein, three months ago, a hundred dollars. Myra Bronstein, seven months ago, $100. Oh, look, Myra Bronstein, $100, eight months ago. Oh, there's Gary Fannin again, $200, nine months ago. Oh, there's Myra again, $100, nine months ago. Oh, look, there's another $100 from Myra, nine months ago. Let's keep going. Marty Eichler. Oh, wow. Big spender. Ten bucks. Good job, Marty. He could have bought a whole hamburger with that, but he chose to donate it. Oh, look, there's another 200 bucks from Gary Fannin ten months ago. Myra Bronstein, $25 ten months ago. So, between Gary Fannin who probably gave almost 800 bucks 
And Myra Bronstein, who probably gave close to that as well. Uh, you know, a good portion of their donations contributed to uh, John Barber reaching, you know, 5% of his goal. Yet, somehow the movie got made relatively quickly. Within a year of starting this GoFundMe campaign, it was in the theater, being shown. As with Myra Bronstein as producer, in Dallas with John. So, my guess would be that she picked up whatever was remainder of the tab that was left over uh, to get the movie done. Which, you know, kudos for her. But, <laughs> you know, I don't like the cut of her jib. Somebody that just is incapable of having a conversation with somebody because they're producing real evidence as opposed to their nonsensical bullshit hearsay. Uh, and they don't want to have a conversation anymore and just want to block people because they don't want to hear the truth. And I got no time for you, Myra Bronstein. And like I said, you know, John Barber, uh, you know, kudos for getting this movie out. And I got no problem with you, sir. But, you know, you are known by your company. <laughs> and, you know, going to JudyCon 2016 and, 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 and talking there and, and, you know, selling your selling your DVDs there just to make a little bit of money. And, and cavorting with people like Myra Bronstein and Judy Baker. Uh, you know, that's a couple notches down on my respect meter for you. You know, I see what it's all about now. It's never been about getting the truth out there. It's been about making money. But anyway, I'll stop ranting about that and move on to something else. Ah, <sighs> so the conferences. They had them this past weekend. Friend of the show, Carmine, presented at Lancer and by all accounts was a resounding success uh, from what I've heard and from people who were there. Uh, Say so he did a great job. Um, and, and we'll have Carmine on here in a couple weeks to, and, and, and we can talk about it. I'm also going to have somebody on the show who was there as well, but not as a presenter, just as a guest. Um, who's also a uh, researcher and, uh, you know, just a guy that, 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 that loves and is interested by the case. And, and he's actually been, I've had my eye on him for a couple of years. He's been doing some uh, independent research on his own and there's some stuff that really hadn't been looked at too much before. And I can't wait to bring that to you. Uh, hopefully next week. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, hopefully I'm gonna be talking to him. Excuse me. Um, at the end of the week here, and we'll get it out next week. Um, so there's that to look forward to. <laughs> but yeah, the conferences, you know. And look, I'm not gonna sit here and rehash everything, because I don't know what all went on at Lancer because. I wasn't there. 
And for me to sit here and tell you everything that disgusted me about JudyCon 2016, uh, quite frankly, I don't have enough bandwidth on my show uh, and for you know just to make it through one episode to sit here and talk about it. And who wants to hear that anyway? What I will say is this. Despite JudyCon being a total you know, gathering of shams and frauds and hucksters, they did manage to do something right by God. And it's amazing. And it's not hard. It's really not hard. You know, both conferences and I've heard from people that went to both of them and and said they had a you know a great time whatever whatever um the one thing they got right there they streamed the entire conference live on YouTube now when you're streaming live on YouTube when you start a stream and you stop a stream it automatically uploads a video of that stream to YouTube. So, you know, if you want to go watch JudyCon 2016, you can go watch it for free on YouTube. It's not that hard to find. And I think it's very cool that they did this, despite their conference being sold out. Um... I think that that's something that Lancer needs to really, really look into. You know, not everybody can make it to Dallas every year and spend thousands of dollars on the trip and the accommodations and the tickets and this, that, and the other. And for those folks that can't make it, uh, it would be nice... For those that are interested enough to care about what you're doing down there, to make it available uh, online for free to watch. You know, especially if you're having a resounding success down there and selling out your venue, which you did. Um, you know that that should be your 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 meter. If you sell out Lancer for all three days, put that shit on YouTube for free. Just either record it or stream it. One of the two. You know, if you don't sell out, then I can understand not wanting to put it out there for free. But if you're sold out and you've made your money and you're good to go, there's no reason whatsoever that you can't put that on YouTube for free for people who are interested enough to care about what you're doing down there to watch it. And it's something that Judy got right for hers. And yes, Ed Tatro, I saw your presentation. Well, your I guess your enigmatic speech about something. Uh, and I heard your little slight at podcasters that I'm sure was aimed in my general direction. And you, sir, may kiss my rosy red ass.
you want to stand up there and <laughs> and talk all this crap and not n- hardly any of it substantiated okay you want to tell me that Madeline Brown is credible because well something that she could have lied about she chose not to so that makes the other times that that she spoke uh credible that's not proof of anything that's not proof of anything you idiot and i'll stand by it to this day you you did not debunk nothing about what other people have been saying about you the lbj theory is done done kaput done mac wallace was not on the sixth floor cyanuria see you later madeline brown not credible she may have banged him but as far as this party and what he said to her and whispered in her ear it's all hearsay and you can't prove it at all period dash 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 you can't prove none of it therefore you can't stand up there and spout this from the highest rooftops sorry you just can't i mean he i don't know if he thought he was channeling lenny bruce at that conference or what you know oh he's holding court up here i'm holding court up here i'm at tatro i'm lenny Bru- well let me let me say bullshit and let me say fuck so i can get a little bit of applause ah oh, get the hell out of here with that shit it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. You're spicing up what you're saying because, or you're spicing up how you're saying it because what you're saying is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing credible. So you got to put on some kind of a stand up comedian routine. To spice it up and rile the people up with your Yankee accent. Sorry. Take that shit somewhere else. Write a book, bro. Okay? Put some footnotes in it. With some actual evidence. Then we can talk. And address things that have been debunked like the Mac Wallace fingerprint. Hire your own expert. That's the chain of events. You know, Bartholomew, you can stand up there and, and, and badmouth Robert Garrett all day long. The thing is, okay, you hired an expert to look at the fingerprint. He concluded that it was Mac Wallace's print. He concluded that there was 34 points of match. Okay, slam dunk, as Walt Brown said. It's a slam dunk. That's 20 years ago. Another researcher has hired another independent fingerprint analyst using the most up-to-date techniques and somebody that's actually certified in this shit to look at them again. And he says they're not Mac Wallace's. So, sorry. The FBI says they're not Mac Wallace's. And they have one of the best fingerprint analysis things in the world so sorry 
If you, you know, now the ball's in your court. If you want him to be back Wallace's fingerprints, you have to hire your own independent fingerprint analysis again to contradict Robert J. Garrett's. You can't have some dummy standing down in Dallas, Texas at a podium trashing him when he, he doesn't know his ass from a fingerprint analysis in the hole in the wall. All that, uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. All that smack talk. No, no, no. No, if you want to refute Bob Garrett, go hire another expert with more qualifications than Bob Garrett and see what they say. But I know you're not going to do that because, oh my God, what if they say they are not Mac Wallace's? Then you're going to be eating your hats. Then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Phil Nelson, Roger Stone, all them guys, you're going to pull your books off of Amazon because they're full of lies? I doubt it. You're going to stop speaking at conferences and selling your shit there? I doubt it. So, Ed Chaitro, when you're man enough, like I said in my email that you didn't answer because you're not man enough to answer somebody, but you can send Judy Baker an email about me, but you can't answer an email from me like a man. <sighs> Sorry, got carried away again. <sighs> There's just so much stuff going on right now in the research community. I mean, just ridiculousness everywhere you turn. Ridiculous everywhere you turn. Oh my God, you know, it's like, it's everywhere. You got Roger Stone debating Gerald Posner. I mean, really? Like, what in the Sam hell has, has this come to? As a conspiracy theorist, I sure as hell don't want Roger Stone representing us or our side of things. No wonder Posner jumped at the chance to, to debate this fool. He's going to rip him to shreds. <laughs> I mean, say what you want to about Posner, but at least he understands and knows most of the facts of the case. Now, maybe he doesn't, he doesn't tell you all of them, but he damn sure knows them. And he's going to tear Stone apart. He's going to tear him apart, and it's not even going to be pretty. Stone knows hit points. He knows hot topics. He knows how to say things without any proof. You know, this guy supports Judy Baker, and, and LBJ did it. This guy is not who we want leading the charge against uh, lone nutters. I mean, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> but that's where we are now. So, you know what? I guess we get what we deserve. I guess we get what we deserve. Because, you know, that's what we got. And I also wanted to point this out. that Between both conferences... And probably 50 speakers on a variety of topics. 
not one, not one focused on the far right. Not one focused on anything concerning General Walker. Like I said, the extreme right wing, John Birch Society. None of it. Because look, I was pondering some stuff. Because like I told you, I got a lot of time to think. Okay. And I actually drove by the CIA headquarters today, as a matter of fact. I was actually listening to a podcast about Mary Pincho Meyer. And as I turned my head, as I'm leaving D.C. and heading over the chain bridge, well, by God, there's the crime scene. I'm looking at the towpath down by the CNO Canal, where Mary Pincho Meyer was found dead. I even tweeted the guys at True Crime Garage. I was like, you know, huh, that awkward moment when you're listening to True Crime Garage about a murder and then you happen to look out the window and see the crime scene. You know, kind of weird. But anyway, it, if, once you cross the bridge and you make it right there on 123, it takes you into Langley. And then, of course, eventually on down further, uh, it takes you over to the interstates. But you got to go by Langley. And I was thinking. Would the CIA. Because look. Would the CIA have had the balls. To effectively pull off essentially a coup d'etat in America just like the book would they have done that you know we know what they've been accused of in the past you know when it comes to foreign nations and, and foreign countries and you know, assassinating leaders or installing, you know, their puppet regimes that are that are sympathetic to whatever they're doing. Uh, you know, would they ever even contemplate doing that here in this country to a leader like John Kennedy, who also happened to have a brother, Robert Kennedy? who was head of the Justice Department. He was the Attorney General. He had an office at Langley. Would they have the balls to pull this off? And why? Why? I mean, does it boil down to self-preservation? Or does it boil down to a rogue element within the CIA? Not necessarily the CIA as a whole. It's hard to say. I don't think the CIA as a whole 
meaning from the top brass all the way down, would have done this. Even if it meant dissolution uh, you know, of the CIA. You know, Kennedy did say that he was going to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. But a lot of the problem with the CIA was Alan Dulles. You know, a lot of the problem with the CIA were folks like Bill Harvey and David Atlee Phillips and whoever else you want to throw in there as being involved in a lot of these things going on overseas where they're essentially conducting clandestine operations and, and on behalf of the United States government that are not officially sanctioned. You know, it's like like he says in his speech, you know, guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. That's essentially what we were doing. Now, if the CIA had sanctioned the hit on John Kennedy, would they use their own to pull it off? Would they keep it in-house? Or would they essentially farm it out to a third party? Essentially creating plausible deniability. And who would they have trusted to farm it out to? The mafia? Who could they trust to keep their mouth shut about who was sponsoring this hit? And people always like to say, well, yeah, the real assassins probably got killed shortly thereafter. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. But let me tell you something. <laughs> the movies don't always portray it as such. But I can tell you, somebody capable of planning and executing a hit on the leader of the free world in broad daylight in the middle of the street with hundreds and thousands of witnesses and getting away <laughs> undetected probably had a pretty good exit plan and probably already got his money, and probably already had plans in place to disappear very quickly. At least, if I was the assassin, I would have wanted my money up front. I would have told no one the plan. either beforehand or after. And good luck catching me, bro. Because I would have had disguises set up, maybe a low, a, a lay low spot for a couple weeks before you even try to get out of town. Shit, maybe plastic surgery. Who knows? 
but you're not going to find me. And, you know, a cold-blooded assassin is not going to be suckered into meeting somebody somewhere to get paid the rest of their money and da-da-da-da-da. You know, that's amateur time. That's amateur time. You know, for this to be pulled off, it would have been something where nobody was meeting face-to-face. Money was exchanged behind, you know, closed doors, whatever, you know, through money transfers or, you know, whatever have you. Essentially, the sponsors in the assassin actually never had to meet. You know, but the sponsor would have never had assurance that it was going to actually be pulled off until it actually happened. And what recourse would they have had? You know, they might have had one built into the agreement, what some kind of recourse to recoup their money if the assassin, A, didn't pull it off, or B, got caught and started singing. He could say, well, look, them guys over there Langley hired me to kill him. What do you mean to do? Say no to the government? Say no to a million dollars? And just imagine for a second if it was proven relatively quickly that the CIA would have been behind it had somebody gotten caught with legitimate ties to the CIA. Imagine the backlash for one second, if you will, if an element of our own government was responsible for taking out our elected official our highest elected official, our president. Imagine for a second if the CIA had been, you know, if it was became public knowledge that the CIA sanctioned the hit. Boy, oh boy, would the shit hit the fan. People would be getting offered up like lambs to the slaughter. You know, people would have been demanding public hangings for treason I mean could you imagine the CIA would have been disbanded immediately they wouldn't have been worried about getting scattered to the wind they would have just been squashed immediately you know there's no way the CIA could remain an entity uh, after it was proved that they had some kind of tie to the assassination would they risk that to kill the president, to kill Kennedy? Would they have risked all that just to kill Kennedy? The answer is, I don't think so. Because, you know, there's always deals to be made. And with Robert Kennedy, as close as he was to these Cuban exile groups and, and, and folks at the CIA, you know, being the attorney general and knowing certain things, um, 
and being able to talk to his brother about things and, and advise him on, on what to do. You know, there's just no reason. There's just no reason to kill Kennedy just in broad daylight in the middle of the street. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's got a wife and kids. He's the president. He was elected by the people. You can't just kill him to change that. You can't mess with democracy that way. That's who we elected as our president. And who in the hell is this organization to deny the people of this country what they wanted? Just because he didn't agree with their assassination plots? You know? Well, just shut that part of your thing down. Okay, you don't need to kill foreign leaders. All you need to do is sponsor the opposition to get the job done so you don't have to get your hands dirty. And of course, that's eventually what they started doing. You know, but there's no reason for the CIA to send in some super spy, you know, some secret, some secret agent assassin man to, to, to kill foreign leaders. There's no reason for it. You know, if he doesn't want to play ball, either you're shit out of luck or you're going to have to sponsor his opposition and make sure that he gets elected or make sure that his side is well funded and well armed in order to take care of their own business. You know, you want to become leader? Okay, well, you're going to have to pull a coup over on this guy. You know, we'll give you money and guns and whatever you need to do it, but we're not going to do it for you. And when you get there, you better remember who got you there. You know, that's how things should have been done. And of course, that's how they're done now. So, anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to point out, point that out, you know, that <laughs> this year, out of 50-some speakers, the far right, the credible threat. You know, I, I like to say a lot about credible threats when it comes to the life of President Kennedy. There were credible threats. You have Miltier on tape being a credible threat and having some pretty ominous knowledge about what was going to happen in Dallas and possibly being on the street in Dallas to watch the show. You know, you have credible right-wing right -wing threats in California. You know, these guys, these guys in the John Birch Society out there were meetings. Uh, there was informants there. They informed on, you know, Dr. Stanley Drennan and all his guys about how they wanted to support General Walker and, and the Kennedy need to be removed because he was a credible threat they perceived to democracy. They thought that Kennedy was too soft on communism. They thought he was a pinko commie bastard and should not be in the White House. 
He shouldn't be meeting with Khrushchev and handshaking and, and uh, you know, not attacking Cuba. Not attacking Russia for putting missiles in Cuba. Instead, he wanted to talk it out. He wanted to detente. He wanted to work things out without resorting to the ultimate violence that would have ensued. Yet this credible threat was not the subject of any of these presenters in Dallas, at least that I know about. Somebody at Lancer may have touched on it. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you had one of the most important books in a long time to come out last year, General Walker and the Murder of President Kennedy. You heard it a couple weeks ago on Doug's show about the Jack Martin film, or the John T. Martin film, you know, where on one reel of film, a former, uh, <laughs> a former enlisted man under General Walker filmed himself going to Dallas and taking footage of General Walker's house and the bullet hole that a lot Oswald allegedly shot in there. And then it cuts to a scene in New Orleans of Oswald on the street handing out flyers and getting arrested. Now, what do you think of the odds of that? Okay. If you're visiting your former commander-in-chief, General Walker, that you respect greatly, if you're going to his house <laughs> and talking to him and taking um, movies of the bullet hole in his wall and window and the next image on your home footage in a neighboring state several hundred miles away you just happen to start filming the very guy accused of shooting at General Walker how ironic is that that has to be one of the greatest coincidences in the entire history of the universe I mean, just think about it for a second, how crazy that is. <laughs> and like they said on Doug's show, that's not just a coincidence, people. It's not. Jack Ruby, when arrested, was afraid of one entity in Dallas. He begged Earl Warren to take him to D.C. And he named it the John Birch Society and General Edwin Walker. There's papers from General Edwin Walker stating that Jack Ruby is going to leave the hospital one way and one way only, and that's in a box. Before he starts talking. Because they knew he was dying. And if he's dying, he ain't got nothing to lose. So they shut him up. <laughs> the credible threats is there. 
The credible threats are there. But yet here we are talking about and arguing about who who is in the doorway, who who shot who shot Oswald in the basement. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Who changed this photo and this, that, and the other? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. But I digress. And uh, it is what it is. But, you know, uh, hopefully big, bigger and better things coming in the next year. we got lots of stuff to look forward to. And uh, lots of stuff to be thankful for. So once again, on this, the anniversary of John F. Kennedy's death and murder, and this Thanksgiving holiday, please keep in your hearts and your minds uh, the Kennedy family and everything that they've been through. And also, uh, you know, be thankful, people, for your family and let them know you love them. And let them know you care every day. And uh, don't take life for granted, people. It could be gone in an instant. So be thankful for what you have and enjoy it. Enjoy it to the fullest. And that is the best advice that I can give you. So, with that being said, and without further ado, this some bitch is in the can. Beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace.